to Psalm 150. I want to share something with you today that I've shared over the years in different ways a number of times. I like, I like going back sometimes to messages I've preached before. or I used to never do that. I used to never go back to old notes. I always felt like I was warming up leftovers, you know, and I didn't want to do that. I always wanted to have a fresh meal for people. But I found in my latter years, the Lord's kind of moved me more to do that. And oftentimes when I do so, I'll revise it or update it or maybe update a story or use a more relevant story. But one of the reasons why I think it's good, same reason why I encourage people to take notes, because, you know, you might read something in the scriptures that gives you light and understanding. And if you don't write it down, you'll lose that. And so I've always encouraged people to journal, to note, especially when they're doing their devotions. If God speaks to their heart, shows them something in the Scripture, we should expect the Holy Spirit to give us light and illumination. The Bible said the entrance of His words give light, give understanding to the simple. And we're all simple in some ways, right? So we need help from heaven. And one of the ways we do that, of course, is through the Word of God. And so this is kind of my journals, if you will, the sermon notes that I get. And I've got literally trunks full of them. I told my son when I go... Uh, you are steward of the trunks, you know. So, uh, you know, I, of course, it's funny because I, when my son was going through school, um, they, they weren't teaching cursive. Remember that period of time where they weren't doing it? So it's like a secret code to him. So there's times he has to go to another family member. What did that say here? You know, but anyway. So I've got these ancient hieroglyphs, apparently, in this trunk that I want preserved, you know, so that they can hear the truths of God's Word that we've shared over the years. But I find that as I go back, I'm reminded of things that I once knew. That maybe life has caused me to forget, or just over the course of time, they've kind of gotten away from me. And today I want to talk a little bit about something that has meant an enormous amount to me personally. I'm talking about like in my life, as far as experiencing the freedom of God. I want to talk about the the liberating power of praise. When I was younger in the Lord and facing what we would simply call spiritual warfare, you know, attacks from the enemy against my mind, a lot of times I felt insufficient in my ability to know how to overcome some of those challenges. And I had some real challenges, even as a young man. I remember even when I was a kid going to church, and I don't believe the devil in any way is omniscient, but he knows some things. And I I believe that somehow he sensed the call of God on my life and was trying to undermine my connection and relationship with God very early on. And, And the Lord helped me score a victory in certain areas that have always been very significant, I felt, to my progress as a believer. And so I love passing on those principles. You know, it's not what we know, it's what we do that bring liberty and deliverance to us. And so today I'm going to share something that really, in its essence, is very simple. But I've had to have God come back and remind me of this again and again. Like Peter says, I'm going to put you in remembrance once again. I've had to have God come back and put me in remembrance of these basic things once and again. Particularly when I found myself struggling over things that I really shouldn't have been because I knew better. Uh, But, you know, we're all there, right? We all get there sometimes where we struggle over things that really we should not be struggling with any longer. So I want to talk about this idea of the liberating power of praise. Psalm 150 is a psalm of praise. We're just going to look at verses 1 through 6. It says, Praise the Lord. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty firmament. Praise Him for His mighty acts. Praise Him according to His excellent greatness. Praise Him with the sound of the trumpet. Praise Him with the lute and harp. Praise Him with the timbrel and dance. Praise Him with stringed instruments and flutes. Praise Him with loud cymbals. Praise Him with clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I would say that from this verse we can say it's our responsibility to praise the Lord, right? But when and how often are we to praise the Lord? I don't know if you've looked at some of the 
Psalms, you know, every Psalm has, well not every Psalm, but many of the Psalms, particularly the Psalms of David, have a little introduction over verse 1. And I was looking for this verse, and when I found it, I caught the introduction before the actual verse 1. This is Psalm 34.1. You're probably very familiar with verse 1. It says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. So when are we to praise the Lord? We're to do it all the time. Continually, ongoingly, not just at certain events, not just when things are going right, not just when things are going wrong. We should continually be praising the Lord. But I kind of got chuckled, I got tickled when I was looking at the intro to it. It says, the happiness of those who trust God. A psalm of David when he pretended madness before Abimelech, who drove him away and he departed. Now, if you don't know what it's talking about, there was a time where David was going to be in trouble with a rival king. And so to avoid getting in trouble, he he pretended like he was nuts. He literally dribbled on his beard and acted like he was frothing at the mouth. And the king looked at him and said, just get him out of here, you know. And so David escaped the snare, if you will. And so that was his occasion for writing this psalm. So I thought, well, how random is that? So I guess it just kind of serves to show you that no matter what's going on in your life, it's always appropriate. Never is it not appropriate to praise the Lord. We can praise God because He's good all the time. Regardless of what you're going through, God is still the same. Our circumstances do not diminish God. But if we get our eyes on our circumstance, it can certainly diminish our view, our perspective of God. Unbelief is something that warps our perspective. It makes our mountains look bigger than God. It's kind of like a funhouse mirror, except you don't know that you're looking at the distorted view that you're seeing. Unbelief makes you look through, as it were, the wrong end of the telescope, and it makes God look small and far away rather than close at hand and large, larger than our circumstances and the challenges that we face. As I said, I've had several times where God has brought me a breakthrough through praise. And I remember it was some time back, in fact, when I wrote the notes to this message for the first time, it had just happened to me. But I I had a real breakthrough during a time of prayer. It was while I was still full-time engaged in the safety world, I think. And um, I was going through a real challenge. You know, sometimes the devil just is relentless. And he comes out of our minds, he comes at us through circumstances, he comes at us through people. And I remember I was just praying. And as I was praying, you know, really kind of crying out for help, God very quietly and very subtly reminded me of something that he had already been dealing with me about that morning, and I just missed it. I don't know if you've ever shouted so loud at God, you're missing what he's trying to say to you. But I was talking over God. I literally was like shouting over God when he was trying to help me. And sometimes we hear, but we either don't recognize it as God, or we don't take seriously what God is trying to tell us. Sometimes we're shouting for help so loudly that we don't hear or heed the voice of God when He speaks. And let me tell you why that's so important. Because I want to read you a very brief portion of Scripture. Just listen to it. Psalm 107, verses 17 through 20 says this, Fools, because of their transgression and because their iniquities were afflicted, their soul abhorred all manner of food. They drew near to the gates of death. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and He saved them out of their distresses. Now notice how. He sent His Word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. See, a lot of times what we want is just an emergency bailout. Kind of like when the government bails out one of these big corporations because of the terrible mismanagement of their finances. And we want God to do the same. We want Him just to kind of ignore the trouble we got ourselves into. Just bail me out, God. Well, God is good and God will lift you out of the pit of your own digging, but how's He going to do it? He's not going to probably just do it apart from you. What He's going to do is He's going to give you a word. In other words, He's going to give you some wisdom, which if we'll walk in the light of it, if we'll do it, if we'll follow it, it will give us the healing and the deliverance that we need. So like I said, God had been dealing with me that morning as I was praying, crying out for help. God had already kind of prompted my heart, spend some time praising me, just magnifying me. Again, what is... 
When we talk about praise, that's immediately the first thing we say. Magnify the Lord. What does that mean? Make Him bigger. Now, God can't be bigger from His perspective, but He can be bigger from our perspective, right? I mean, we've all been there. If whatever you're close to looks big. And when you're focusing on and concentrating on your crisis, what looms large? Your mountain, the obstacle. And so what God wanted me to do is get my eyes off that and begin to magnify Him, begin to praise Him. And I just hadn't caught it. And I remember that He had whispered that to my heart just moments before at some point during my prayer, but I really didn't note it or take heed to it. Like I said, I've been bombarded with negative and discouragement, but the moment I began to do what God said and begin to praise God, there was this immediate shift in my perspective. It was like I suddenly stepped out of the darkness, right into the light, and I began to see things from God's perspective. Immediately that negative perspective left me, and all of a sudden it was like springs of living water broke loose in my spirit and in my heart. I went from darkness to light, negative to positive, in the blink of an eye. And in that moment, God spoke to me and said several things that I think are of great importance. And I mean, when I say God spoke to me, I didn't hear an audible voice, but just impressions rose up in my heart that I think are good for all of us to remember. Number one, the first thing he said to me was, Randy, a negative and critical spirit is always from the devil. I want to say that again. A negative and critical spirit is always from the devil, but a positive and encouraging spirit is always from God. Now, that doesn't mean we can't take constructive criticism. I'm not talking about that. We all need some good constructive criticism from people who love us. But I'm talking about when somebody is bearing down on you or the devil's bearing down on your mind, trying to discourage you and get you to give up, throw up your hands and quit. Can I just assure you, that's the devil. That's never the voice of God. Telling you, ah, you're a failure, you're no good, look what you've done, I can't believe you've done that since you were saved. You know, all this kind of stuff that comes to our minds sometimes to accuse us. How many know the devil is the accuser of the brethren? He's a slanderer. That's what his very name means. I remember reading some years back the Greek word um, for devil, diabolos. There's two words there that literally mean to hit against the membrane repeatedly until it finally breaks through. And that's kind of the devil. You know, he'll keep coming with those same thoughts, keep coming with those same thoughts until he finally wears you down and breaks down your resistance. That's the nature of the enemy. And so we need to realize that a negative and critical spirit is always from the devil, but a positive and encouraging spirit is always from God. So a couple of takeaways I took from that. If negativity and criticism is coming my way, whether it's from people or simply against my mind, I can know that's the voice of the devil. I can disregard it. I can resist it. I don't have to stand there and take it. How many of you know you and I are called to resist the devil and he will flee? He doesn't say passively just let him keep talking to you. Resist the devil and he will flee. How do you do that? I do it just like that. You spirits of, you know, you spirit of discouragement, you spirit of fear, whatever it is, I'll address that and I'll say, I resist you. I'm not going to listen to you. I take authority over that because I have the right to do so. The devil has no jurisdiction or authority over me. Or you. We've been delivered from the power of darkness. Because how many of you know you have to stand up for your rights? There is a no trespassing sign on your life, but the devil doesn't know how to read. So he's going to try to take advantage of you and come against you, particularly in the realm of your thought life and your mind. And you've got to learn to resist the devil. So number one, if negativity and criticism is coming your way, recognize the source and resist it. Secondly, if you have been negative and critical, either of yourself or others, you're allowing the devil to use you to discourage either yourself or someone else. I learned this lesson the hard way years ago. I was singing with a, a, a gospel quartet called Sunrise, and we were at a particular church. And the pastor, I don't know, sometimes, you know, you just meet someone who's, I don't know, you're, you're, you know, your personalities just don't jive, you know what I mean? 
And this pastor was very concerned about what we were going to do in his church. And, you know, so he didn't want us to do this. He didn't just sing your songs. Because we'd always give an altar call or invitation at the end. He'd invite people to come. I'll take care of all that. Well, it just struck me as controlling. And I didn't like it, you know. And so I said something to the guy just kind of offhanded. Now, let me say this. Controlling or not, secure or not, that pastor had all the right to say what he said. Because that's his church. But I, being, you know, what, 17, 18, knew everything. Or I was older than that. I was maybe 19. But, you know, and so, of course, I'm going to criticize. And I did it in front of the guys. And then when I did that, my heart smote me. And I knew I'd done wrong. And so I apologized. And I said to the guys, guys, I should have said that. I'm sorry. The Lord said, that's not enough. I want you to go to the pastor and apologize to him. I said, Lord, he didn't hear that. He said, yeah, but you criticized him publicly. I want you to apologize publicly. Oh, no, no, that can't be. I rebuke you, devil. No, it didn't work. Uh, Why did God make me do that? Because he wanted me to know it's not okay to flippantly let my jaw, you know, just go off hinge and start criticizing people. It's something that I needed to learn. And so, believe you me, that was a lesson well learned. How many know when David was being chased by Saul... David would not lift his hand against God's anointed, even though he had gone off the rail. Saul had totally gone nuts. He's throwing spears at his own son as well as David. But David said, I'm not going to touch God's anointed. In fact, David's heart smote him when he just reached out to cut off a little corner of Saul's robe to let him know, hey, you were in my hands and I let you go. And David's heart smote him because he felt he had lifted his hand against God's anointed. So how many of you know when it comes to God's people, let God's handle God's people, right? Let's not be critical. Let's not add a... You know, sometimes people are going through a difficult time and maybe they shoot off their mouth or they say something unkind or insensitive and we feel so defensive and we want to protect ourselves. We want to guard ourselves. Stand up for our rights. Can you hear that? My rights. Me. 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 And we're thinking about ourselves rather than we are the other individual. Oftentimes, you know, like my son says all the time, hurt people hurt people. And people that are hurt wound others whether they mean to or not. Sometimes just recognizing the signs of a wounded warrior, somebody who's been hurt in the conflict and loving them instead of just spewing back criticism because maybe they've been a little bit short or unkind. How many know maybe that could work wonders, right? So be careful about having a critical spirit yourself. But nevertheless, this is one of these things that I've I've just learned that a critical and negative spirit is always from the devil, but a positive and encouraging spirit is always from God. I don't know about you, but I never get tired of hearing people encourage me in the things of God, right? And, and And we should be encouraging one another because that's exactly what God has called us to do. But the second thing that the Lord showed me through this experience is something that I saw. Now, everybody's different and God speaks to all of us in different ways, but one of the ways the Lord speaks to me is in images. I'll see something and something will just speak to me out of that. I mean, that's always kind of been, it's like just I'll see an image, a flash of something, just very quickly. But in that moment, God will speak volumes to me about what He's endeavoring to say. And I remember that as I was praising the God, praising the Lord, I had this, for lack of a better term, it wasn't a vision, the heavens didn't roll back, I didn't see angels river dancing in the sky or anything like that, but just an image in my mind. And as I was praising God, I saw these cords that were around me, kind of like, you know, trying to bind me, breaking asunder and just giving way as I began to praise God. And it became clear to me that what I was doing as I was praising God, it was I was taking, again, resisting the devil and taking, um, taking action. You know, they say the best defense is a strong offense, right? And sometimes you've got to go on the offensive and not just wait for God to do something on your behalf, but work together with God in faith so that you're giving God something to work with. As we see, praise does several things. We already talked about the fact that it changes our perspective. It immediately causes us to magnify God rather than the mountain. Another way to say that is it immediately puts you in faith. 
One of the things I've found throughout my life, and it's a hard lesson to learn because sometimes we just kind of want to grovel at the feet of God and beg and plead. But I've found that if I want God to move on my behalf, I need to get in faith. I can't just whine and grovel and roll around. Oh, woe is me. What's that old hee-haw show? Gloom, despair, and agony on me. If it weren't for bad luck, I'd have no bad luck at all. You know, and sometimes Christians are really good at groveling. Oh, I'm just, I'm just such a worthless worm. I can't do anything. And I think God would like to say to half of us, get up out of the carpet, you ridiculous thing, you. Stand up and resist the devil. Fight the fight of faith. I'm on your side. If God be for you, who can be against you? Did we forget all this? You know? And I think sometimes we just kind of get in that whiny... And I've found that whenever I get in that mode, I, 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 heaven just seems to be silent. And it's not that God is indifferent, but God is moved by faith. If God were moved merely by desperation, He'd be moving on behalf of everybody all over the world. God isn't moved merely by the desperation of our circumstance. He's moved when we dare to believe Him. We have to give Him something to work with. And when we begin to praise God, we get over in the realm of faith. We begin to see God. We begin to see His willingness. We begin to see His faithfulness. And He begins to work on our behalf. So number one, it changes our perspective and gives God something to work with. Number two, praise brings God on the scene. It creates an environment in which God can manifest Himself. You know, there's a great uh, verse of Scripture you're probably familiar with in Psalm 22.3. It says, But you are holy, enthroned in the praises of Israel. Now the old King James says, God inhabits the praises of Israel. I like that. Amen. God inhabits the praises of His people. The moment you start praising, you put God on, in charge. You bring Him on the scene. I, every time I think of that verse, God inhabits the praise of His people, I think of my old worship leader. I had a worship leader in my first church. He's since passed away. But back when I was in my 20s, I pastored in Bishop, California. And we started off meeting in an American Legion Hall. And our little church grew. We eventually got up to about 180 folks. And it was just a thriving work. And, and our, our worship leader had been, you know, a biker. He'd been a, a one percenter, you know, in one of the gangs at one point in his life. A big drug guy. And God had really radically saved him and changed his life. And, uh, but he was a, a, a blues, a, a, a bluegrass guitar player. And so no matter what song I brought him from anywhere in the country, one when I gave it to him, it turned into bluegrass. But anyway, he was a great worship leader. But he wasn't necessarily the most educated individual in the world. So I'll never forget one time he was up there praising the Lord. He said, God, we thank you that you inhibit the praises of your people. And uh, somebody let him know, no, God doesn't inhibit our praises. He inhabits our praises. Big difference. But how many of you know oftentimes we inhibit God, right? We limit the Holy One of Israel, as the nation of Israel did, because of our unbelief, because we won't praise Him, we won't give Him an opportunity to come on the scene on our behalf. The third thing praise does is what God spoke to me after this experience. Praise shuts up the enemy. It steals the enemy. It stops him in his tracks. Like I said, when I was a young man, I went through some battles that really lasted for an extended time in my life. Um... I, I believe the call of God was something I began to experience very early in life in my church, and I didn't know how to describe it, but I remember even being with my friends at times and thinking, how come I'm different than them? There was something about like my view of the world that was just different. I just believe God's hand was on my life, but I remember having these terrible fears concerning my salvation. Am I really saved? When I prayed, did it really work for me? And I just had these terrible doubts concerning my salvation. I could go into a whole uh, uh, testimony of how that experience occurred and then how I eventually got victory over it. But it became something tormenting to my mind. And I tried everything to shake those accusations. And like I said, what I would try to do is go to people to pray it off of me. Brother, can you pray? And maybe your prayer will be effective for breaking. And I realized what God wanted me to do is He wanted me to rise up. And, and let me just say this. 
Too many people are living in what I call spiritual welfare state. And I don't mean this to sound unkind. But what I mean by that is they want everyone else to do their praying for them. They want everyone else to do their standing for them. They want everyone else to do whatever they need, the heavy lifting for them. And I've found there comes a point where God says, put that young and down and let them walk on their own two feet. And I've had times where other people's prayers work for me. But I've had other times where God said, you've been through this enough. You've got enough you know, history with me. You need to stand and trust me for yourself. And I remember how difficult that was. But eventually, the Lord began to speak to my heart through two verses of Scripture so that I could experience liberty when this oppression would come against my mind. And again, how did the answer come? He brought to me His Word. So I want to read those two Scriptures to you. What is Psalm chapter 8, verse 2? And then I'm going to read when Jesus quotes that verse in Matthew 21 later. So let let me read these two verses of Scripture to you. Psalm chapter 8. Verse 2 says this, Out of the mouths of babes and nursing infants, you have ordained strength because of your enemies, that you may silence the enemy and the avenger. Now, just reading that, it might not really speak to what we're saying, but I remember I was reading through the Gospels one time, and I came into the book of Matthew. And, and Jesus quotes that scripture. But when he quotes it, he reads it or quotes it a little differently. Now, I did not understand when I first discovered this, the reason why. Was we read our Old Testament out of the Masoretic text, which is a Hebrew translation of the Old Covenant. But much of the New Testament authors and much of our New Testament uh, characters would have quoted out of the Septuagint, which is a Greek translation of the New Testament. So it reads a little different. But the interesting thing is Jesus would quote out of both of them liberally and never say, now, this one's right, this one's wrong. He just quoted from the Bible, right? So I take that to mean that Jesus endorsed them both. Listen to what we read here. Matthew 21, 14 through 16. said, Then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and scribes saw their wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David, they were indignant and said to him, Do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes, have you never read? Out of the mouths of babes and nursing infants, you have perfected praise. Now that's very different than what Psalm 8.2 says. Psalm 8.2 again says, Because of your enemy, uh, I'm sorry, out of the mouths of babes and nursing infants, you have ordained strength. What God said to me is the strength that he's referring to in Psalm 8.2, or what brings the strength, what enables us to tap into the strength, is praise. Praise is the strength that God ordained to still or to stop the enemy and the avenger. And I found this to be true. That if I would praise God, even when my mind was a jumbled mess, and sometimes, how many of you know, if your mind has been fixating on the negative, it'll take a moment or two. Like one person says, like sticky fly paper. You ever try to get fly paper or something like that off your hand, or maybe you got a little sticker off the bread, you know, wrapper, whatever, a little price tag, and you flip it off your finger and it gets on the other finger, and you're, you know, and thoughts can be like that. You try to flip that negative thought out, and it lands somewhere else on the other side of your brain, and here it comes again. And you have to continue to resist until you feel that freedom. And I found you can't just not think stuff. You have to replace one thought with a different one. So what I began to realize is that if I would begin to praise God, now, how do you do that, Randy? Very simply. Lord, I praise you. I magnify you. I thank you that you are not my problem. You are good, God. You love me. I thank you that you sent Jesus to die on my behalf. I thank you that you love me with an everlasting love. There is no compromise to your love, Lord. I thank you that this torment does not come from you. It comes from the enemy of my soul. And even as I'm beginning to speak and praise God, something on the inside of me is rising up. The fight. 
The fight of faith is rising up on the inside of me, enabling me to take my place. And I began to realize that the more I began to do that, the more I began to experience victory. I would displace the presence of the enemy with the presence of God. I love what one of my instructors said. He said, whatever you put your mind on, you bring your spirit to contact with. So whenever you focus on negative things and think about the devil's thoughts, we don't like to think of it this way, but in a very real way, we're fellowshipping with the devil. We're thinking his thoughts after him, entertaining his thoughts. And how do you know that's bad company? Right? We don't, want to in, we don't want to entertain the thoughts of the enemy. So the moment we recognize that that mean, critical, harsh spirit is coming our way, we need to resist that. We begin to magnify God, begin to praise God. And as I said, praise is the strength that stops the enemy and the avenger. I'm telling you, the devil cannot stop appraising people. The child of God who refuses to entertain the lies of the devil and instead chooses to magnify God is invincible. Now, it doesn't mean you won't be attacked. It doesn't mean you won't have to fight the fight of faith. But I'm telling you, you can overcome in every instance, particularly where the thoughts against your mind come, when you begin to stand in faith, begin to praise and magnify God. As I was, that day when these thoughts came to me not that long ago, like I said, some, a couple years back when I was experiencing this, the Lord reminded me of those early days when I would use that principle to overcome challenges that would come to my faith. And what the Lord said to me is, you've used that as a weapon to get freedom in times of crisis. What I want you to do is maintain a life of praise. Don't wait for the crisis to come. Don't wait for the challenge to come. Right? Don't wait till you come to the walled cities. And don't wait till you come against the fortified armies. Begin to praise me all the time. Now, I don't know if you remember in Second Chronicles 20, 20, or 1 through 20, actually, I'll just remind you of the story. The king Jehoshaphat, who was a righteous king, found out that there was about five armies that had gathered together to come against him. And the Bible said that he called together a sacred assembly, a prayer meeting in Jerusalem. And so everybody came from everywhere, and they had this big extended prayer meeting. And, and, and Jehoshaphat basically summarized, and he summarized the prayer by saying, Lord, we have no might against this great army, but our eyes are upon you. And Lord, you're the one who created us, you're the one who sustains us, our eyes are on you. And the Bible said that the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, I believe his name was, one of the sons of Asaph, who was a psalmist. In other words, a prophetic figure. And he said, listen, you're not going to even have to fight this battle. Just go out there, stand still, and walk the salvation of the Lord with you. And so, of course, they all praised God. I mean, this is an innumerable force coming against them. And so, somewhere, obviously, during the night, uh, Jehoshaphat got further instructions, because when he got up the next day, he said, put Judah... In front. Now, Judah means praise. And he put the tribe of Judah in front, which normally they would not have been in front. They're the fourth child, right? So it would have been Reuben, whatever, you know. But, but they put Judah out front, and they begin to praise the beauty of holiness. The Lord is good. His mercy endureth forever. And the Bible said that while they came forward praising God, the Lord set ambushments against the other armies. They began to fight amongst themselves, and they slew each other. And not only did they kill each other, by the time Israel got on the scene, the only thing left was the loot. And the Bible said there was so much spoil, it took them three days to gather it up. The devil said, I'm taking you to your execution. God said, no, I'm taking you to an early retirement where you're set up for life. I mean, what a turnaround of events, right? But I'm telling you that in a spiritual sense, I've witnessed that kind of turnaround. Where the devil, you know, basically let me know, I'm going to eat your lunch. This is where it stops for you. But through praise and through magnifying God, not focusing on the lies of the devil, but magnifying the Lord and understanding who I am in Christ. Suddenly, I'm telling you, the, the situation turned around, the, the lies of the enemy like, fell like the walls of Jericho, and we experienced great, great victory. The interesting thing is, this is not just about you and I and our victory. 
Another story that you're well familiar with, and I, that's why I think I can allude to them, is because these are pretty well known. But in Acts 16, you might remember Paul and Silas went to Philippi. Paul got the Philippian or the Macedonian call, you know, come over and help us. Obvious direction from God to go into Europe. They kept trying to go into Asia, but God said, no, I want you to come up here into Europe. So they go into Macedonia, which is part of Greece, named after Philip Macedon, you know, the, the father of Alexander the Great. So they go into Philippi, which was kind of a big hub there in that area. And so they're there preaching and they get, you know, a lady by the name of Lydia saved, a businesswoman, you know, at the Riverside, Cellar Purple. She gets saved. So things are going pretty good. They got a little startup church, you know, maybe Lydia and her household. And then on the way to prayer, this demon girl, demon possessed girl, kept saying, These are men of the most high God who come to show us the way of salvation. Now that sounds good. She's right in what she's saying. But who wants the devil advertising for you, right? So God knows what this woman had done or, you know, what kind of character she had. So Paul finally got vexed with the thing. I don't know. The Bible said this she did many days. I would have thought that it got old in about 15 minutes. Kind of like a kid in the back seat saying, Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? So Paul cast the devil out of the girl. Next thing you know, man, the whole city's in an uproar, right? They find themselves in the innermost prison, feet fast in the socks. And there they are at midnight. And I imagine at that time, Silas looked over at Paul and said, Can you please tell me that vision you had one more time? No, that's not what he said. The Bible said at midnight, the old King James says they prayed and sang praises unto God. And the prisoners heard them. Another translation says the prisoners were listening to them. You know, the world is watching. What do we do in the time of crisis, right? And they could have been bellyaching and complaining. God, we did this all for you. I've seen preachers do that. I sacrificed so much for you. Fooey. All we sacrificed for Jesus was going to hell, right? I mean, dear God, look at all that He's done for us. We need to not complain about what we gave up for the Lord. <laughs> but instead of that, what are they doing? They're, they're praying, but they didn't stop there. They're singing praises unto God. The interesting thing is, in both the case of Jehoshaphat, they prayed. Jehoshaphat prayed, got the whole community to pray. Paul and Silas prayed, but the answer in those circumstances didn't come while they were praying. It came while they were praising. I know one of my spiritual fathers said, you need to exchange uh, praise for prayer. Doesn't mean you don't pray about your circumstance, but how many times have you prayed about it already? And if you prayed about it half a dozen times and nothing's changed yet, maybe the thing to do is instead of praying one more time, begin to praise God for the answer. Amen? I mean, just begin to thank Him and honor thanksgiving to God for His faithfulness and His goodness. And I'll tell you what, God will show up on the scene. God inhabits the praises of His people. He certainly inhabited Paul and Silas' praises. He certainly inhabited Jehoshaphat and the nation of Israel praises. And He will inhabit your praises as well. Amen? Amen? Praise God. Let's just take a moment and just do that. Father, we thank You. We praise You. Father, You're a good God. We thank You, Lord God, that You love us so much. We thank You, Father God, that there is no weapon that will stand against us, that will succeed against us, that will prosper against us. We thank You, Lord God, that You are our victory, that Jesus Christ has already spoiled principalities and powers and made an open show of them, triumphing over them through the cross. We thank You that through His resurrection we are raised together with You, victors in Christ, seated together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, far above all principality, power, might, and dominion. We thank You, Father God, that whatever circumstances we're going through are small in the light of Your greatness and Your awesomeness, Lord. So we give You thanks, we give You praise, we give You glory, we give You honor. Thank You, Father God, for Your deliverance on our behalf, Father God, whatever it is, financial, physical, emotional, marital. We thank You, Father God, for coming through on behalf of Your people as we lift our hearts and hands and voices in praise and worship to You. And Father, we thank You, Lord God, that we will continually give thanks to the Lord. We'll rise up praising You. We'll go to sleep praising You. We'll praise You throughout the day. We give You thanks and praise. We magnify You, O God. You're so great. You're so awesome. We thank You, Lord God. The devil is nothing 
in comparison to our God. We thank you for it, Father, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Praise the Lord.